Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Hello and welcome to another episode of a Dad's Path podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today we're here with Nancy Smith. Nancy is a collaborative divorce attorney and the author of Entangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. We're going to talk about what a collaborative divorce is and different types of divorce options, etc. on this podcast. But the book provides guidance for couples who are considering a divorce and want to minimize the stress and conflict associated with the traditional divorce proceedings. You know, that can be pretty hard on kids. So it's a super interesting topic for my wife listening. Uh, this is not for us, but welcome, Nancy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Will. It's great to be here. I felt like I had to get that disclaimer out of the way. Oh, I think that's a smart, that was a, go- a wise decision. And actually, when your book came in the mail, I, I also had to bring that up. I said, hey, I got a book for someone I'm interviewing. It's not. <laughs> nothing personal. I'm lo- nothing personal. Yeah. And she looked at me like, like I was crazy. Anyway. I want to go into collaborative divorce, but before we do, it's just as dads, some dads here are single, some got married, some are divorced. The point is, you know, you never know where life's going to take you. And I didn't even know what a collaborative divorce was before I read the book and, and started talking to Nancy, kind of doing some research like that. And it's really interesting because divorce can be really hard on kids. And as dads, that's the opposite of what we want to do, right? We don't want to stress our kids out, you know, real stress. We don't want to deliver that to our kids. And if you're finding yourself in a situation where the relationship is, you know, is, is broken, you need to look at your options. So Nancy, you're an expert on divorce, on collaborative divorce, but I'd love to start just with what are the different, are there other kinds of divorce? I, I didn't even know there was collaborative. Could you, could you talk about that for a minute? Sure, of course. So first of all, let me just say, I'm so grateful to be here. I, I love dads. I love my own dad. I love supporting dads. Um, I've been, you know, in the trenches for about 30 years before and about 15 years before I even discovered collaborative divorce myself. So part of what we're doing, and I really appreciate this opportunity is to talk to people about collaborative divorce as one of four basic divorce options. There's the substantive issues that are present in everybody's divorce, regardless of what state you're in. There's, you know, property division, there's alimony, potentially there's child support, there's custody issues. Um, those are the substantive issues. And then there's procedural issues. Like what are your choices? How do we want to get divorced? And that actually has a lot of power in it um, because you can set your intentions early in the divorce process for the way you want to get divorced. So the most control and the cheapest version is do it yourself. Um, you could obtain the forms from online from your state judiciary website and sit down at the kitchen table and fill out the forms and uh, file it as an uncontested divorce, which means you're not fighting. A contested divorce means that you are kind of lawyering up, or even if you don't have lawyers, you're going to court and you're going to ask the judge to make the decisions for you on those substantive issues that we just discussed. So there's do it yourself. There's mediation. Mediation is a great option um, if you are on equal bargaining footing and you both have equal access to the information um, and you feel strong enough to negotiate on behalf of yourself, either with or without lawyers. A mediator is a neutral person who's just going to help you facilitate the difficult conversation that having a divorce and working out a settlement represents. So would you say that would be under the contested category? No, that would be mostly uncontested. So in almost every case nowadays, the courts require people to engage in mediation. So mediation is just an opportunity to have a difficult conversation with your spouse in front of a neutral 
third person who's skilled in conflict management. So they're going to try to get to the bottom line of like, what's your interest? What's really motivating your position, whatever your position is? Um, like, oh, I want sole custody. Well, why? What are you really interested in? Well, when you boil it down, most people want their children to be healthy and happy and to maybe stay in the same school district if that's possible and to feel loved and supported and connected with both parents and create a family in two homes. Like when you really start thinking about what's truly important, it's not just the title, like I want sole custody. That's not really what you want. Like that's a weird construct that is just made up by lawyers and laws. What you really want is like a healthy life and you don't want to hate your spouse and you don't want to screw up your children. So when you look at it that way, um, that might help. Absolutely. No, that's, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. So mediation, mediation, and then, yourself, you move, yeah. yep, and then you move along the continuum and you end up in collaborative divorce, which is like, I like to say mediation on steroids. And the reason I say that is because I look at divorce through the lens of grief and loss. And we can talk about that, why it's so painful, why divorce is so painful and why there's so much stigma about it. But if you look at it from the point of view of loss, it's about 80% emotional, 10% legal, 10% financial, a divorce. And the reason why divorces last so long and they're so dramatic and everybody has a terrible story is because, in my opinion, it's they haven't worked through the emotional piece of it. And when you start thinking about your divorce as a loss and a grieving process, that's deeply emotional. And it's like somebody died in your family, except nobody's bringing you food, right? Like you're on your own, you get isolated. No, your friends don't want to talk to you. Everyone's afraid it's contagious. Nobody knows what to do with you. And you're losing your best friend. You lose your lover. You, one of you is going to be losing your housing. You're going to lose time with your children, no matter which way it all goes. You're going to be losing half of your wealth. You're going to lose your idea of what you thought you were building. And that is the thing that is, I think, the most soul-crushing aspect of a divorce is the loss of the idea of what you thought you were building. And it doesn't matter whether you're the one asking for the divorce or you're on the receiving end. There's a lot of emotionality about it. You should expect to feel the entire spectrum of negative emotions, you know, the rage, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, the sadness, you know, the betrayal, all of it. And you are going to recover from it and you need support. So Collaborative divorce offers couples sort of an opportunity to like build a bridge between them that results in dignity, compassion, and mutual respect. And if you set your intentions that way, we build the scaffolding for you. We, it's a team approach. It's interdisciplinary. There's two lawyers that are collaboratively trained. We don't go to court. We don't threaten to go to court. We don't bully each other. We're, we're there to help facilitate the process, give legal advice, be supportive. There's a mental health coach who's there to normalize all of the intense emotions that we just talked about. Uh, and then there's a financial neutral who's really lovely and whose sole job is to collect the financial data, one person collecting the data so the two lawyers are not, not everybody's touching it. You know, you don't have to have everybody touching the financial data. It's expensive and the lawyers aren't, you know, particularly expert at it. So you have one neutral financial person collecting all the financial information, and then equalizing the playing field because it's very common that somebody in a divorce does not have as much sophistication in the finances and the family, you know, whoever's been the CFO in the family, it's not both of you. Usually it's not co-CFOs running the family budget. So somebody's always in a down, a one man down sort of position. And so you just want to equalize that. And having the team approach just supports the couple at a pace that's reasonable, that's set by the couple. And we have the difficult conversations and we roll up our sleeves and we don't quit and we don't threaten to go to court. It's amazing. It's a totally revolutionary paradigm shifting experience. And it's been around for 30 years. 
So there's collaboratively trained attorneys in every state in the country. And Colorado, where you are, Will, they've, they've been innovators in this practice for a long time, but they are in every state. So wherever your listeners are, um, if you are contemplating a divorce, I would highly encourage the first call to be to Google, you know, collaborative divorce lawyer near me and really make sure that they understand and do practice collaborative divorce. Absolutely. You know, and I love hearing the description. It sounds to me, if I, if you have to get a divorce, this is a good way to do it, you know, to minimize all the pain and to, again, focus on the kids and, and the outcome you want. When you get down to sort of brass tacks and you look at divorces, though, it feels like a lot of them aren't amicable. How do you, how do you line up there? You know, is divorce usually two people saying, hey, let's get a divorce. So how do you get to the collaborative space? Well, that's why you need to ask for it. That's why the client needs to be the one driving this because it's been around for 30 years, but I consider it one of the best kept secrets of divorce lawyers. So we're not trained in collaborative divorce in law school. And so we're trained in the adversarial paradigm, which is the fourth and final way you can get divorced, which is basically throw up your hands, go to court, file for the divorce. Someone's going to get served with divorce papers. It's a very um, traditional adversarial experience. And I just don't think it's appropriate for the emotionality of what's going on. If it's 80% emotional, you know, in my view, 10% legal, 10% financial, why would you go to court to determine where, how you're going to both live in two separate homes and be supportive co-parents for your children? It's a terrible model. So sometimes it's necessary though. I'll just give you that caveat. There are cases where you need the direct intervention and supervision of a judge telling you how to manage your life. But I would suggest that most people don't really need that. Like if there's active abuse or there's active addiction or there's something, serious mental health issues that are not being treated, okay, you're not going to be able to sit at the table and roll up your sleeves and, and do the job in a collaborative model. That's okay. Or if you have a serious personality disorder um, or your spouse does, like we don't want to set up a collaborative model to fail because if we start a collaborative process and somebody wants to get out of it and quit it, then the lawyers have to withdraw and you have to go get independent litigation counsel because the lawyers have already committed that we're not going to go to court. We honor that commitment right through. So we want to, you know, make sure that you're an appropriate candidate for the collaborative process. But in my mind, if you had five or six people in a room together and you said, how many of you would like to have an amicable divorce? You know, I would suspect most of them would raise their hands, but then they just have to go a little deeper and ask their lawyers when they're interviewing lawyers, do you practice collaborative? And if they don't, say, thank you, let me schedule an appointment with somebody who does. And then really find the lawyer in the process that's going to align with your actual core values, like transparency, decency, mutual respect, compassion. And I think the reason why it ends up in litigation often is fear. I think fear drives people to you know madness, frankly. And I think at the time that you're getting divorced, you are so vulnerable and so afraid of the future and you don't know what to do and you've you talk to somebody and they tell you about some terrible experience and they tell you to lawyer up with the, you know, the meanest shark in your neighborhood. And then somehow you feel protected. And I just think that's a myth. And I think you got to do the work to come to terms with your role in the dissolution of the marriage and be okay with that. Like accept that, accept responsibility, radical responsibility for your contribution and stop blaming and shaming. Then I think you could have a decent divorce. Otherwise you can end up in court. Right. And like you said the, at the start there, you know, if you ask 10 couples or however many, how many want to be amicable versus non-amicable? I mean, everyone wants, especially as, as parents, right? Because we're role models and something is happening that's not, you know, probably what we wanted as a role model. It's not what we want to model, certainly. 
but you can make the most of it, right? It's a bad situation, and you're saying, or I don't know, I don't want to judge it, say bad, but it's a situation you didn't choose. <laughs> you didn't write that story, uh, so you can either, you know, take your pill and swallow it nicely and say, "Hey, this is not nice. This isn't fun, but I'm going to do it for my kids. This isn't about me. This isn't a selfish thing. This is about." you know, how do I make this the best for, for my family moving forward and my kids? And I, I agree. I appreciate that. The role model um, element is really crucial. And I think doing it in a collaborative way demonstrates for your children how to handle adversity with dignity and mutual respect. Like that is a huge gift that you're giving to your kids. I would even change, and I appreciate your sort of checking yourself on, you know, oh, it's a bad thing. Like, I don't think you need to judge divorce anymore. Like, I think that's part of the problem is that we've got all the stigma about it. We have all these expectations of the institution of marriage that were fine maybe a long time ago. Um, but we all live so long that is it even realistic to expect to be with the same person for like 50 years or whatever? Um, I think rather than judging and shaming, it's really important to just kind of say, you know, this isn't working for me. And if you're the one thinking about it, and you're the one who's going to bring it up, it's going to be a shock to your spouse. Like most in my, in my experience, people who finally have the courage to either call a divorce lawyer for the consult or tell their spouse they want a divorce, they've been thinking about it for like a year and they finally get the courage to use their words and say it. But their spouse is just getting blindsided. Like this is coming out of left field and it's a feels like a gut kick. And I think it does feel that way because you do not want to underestimate the impact of rejection on the human spirit. It's soul crushing. Like to feel rejected is going to bring up all of your family of origin stuff, all your attachment stuff, all your fears of abandonment, like any childhood trauma, any ancestral trauma, it's all going to show up as soon as somebody tells you that they want to leave you. You know, it's a big moment. So I think you want to, and your listeners, anybody who's thinking about it, if you are going to have that conversation, you want to be thoughtful about it. You want to be intentional. You want to have your words scripted out. You want to know what is the solution that you could bring to this difficult conversation? And if you sort of were able to sandwich the bad news of the divorce, which is going to come as a shock, um, even though we could all look at it objectively and say, what, why, of course, couldn't you see this coming? You know, but usually you don't, somebody doesn't. And you got to give them credit for that and allow them time to grieve and realize that this is actually going to be a good thing for everybody. But at that same time, you you just want to offer them the solution of like, hey, I did do a consult. I understand that there's a concept called collaborative divorce. It's a it's a very sensible, modern approach. We don't have to go to court and bear all of our ugliness. We can be respectful. We can have a plan, get a strategic exit strategy going so that we can demonstrate for our kids that we still love them and that that we can still be a family in two homes. But that takes a lot of effort and it takes some education, which is why I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, no, that's also great. You're right. You have to be just, you know, intentional and sensitive and it most likely will be a surprise on some level. It cuts deep. You know, it's about rejection. It's about your plan's not working like we were talking about. I mean, as you go through the process, how would you suggest couples deal with the emotions? You, you said it's 80% emotional, which I hadn't thought about before. So how do you work through those? You get a good therapist. Um, recognize that your divorce lawyer is not your therapist and it's going to cost you a fortune. If you call your divorce lawyer every time you're having a feeling, which <laughs> happens a lot, you know, and you want to talk to somebody because you don't feel like you have anyone else, that bill is going to be shocking, especially that first month. So we encourage people right off the bat to have your own individual therapist. And it's really important to do that. Even if you think, oh, therapy's not for me, I would suggest realign your thoughts about that because this is a major life transition, second only to death, and you're going to need support. 
your family can only give you so much, plus they're biased. You know, your friends are going to eventually get sick of hearing about it. And it's worth it to pay for somebody to sit there and kind of bounce ideas and, and double check yourself and be real. Um, you know, obviously people can fib on their, on themselves and not tell their therapist, you know, the truth, but I don't know. I- I'm not exactly miss touchy feely. And, you know, I've been in therapy and it's not easy and I've watched my clients do it, but it's really important to get in touch with your feelings and feel them. Apparently, Pema Chodron says you only have to feel your feelings for 90 seconds. And then if you let them go after that, you, you've kind of had that experience. Like if the problem is when we tell ourselves, Oh, we shouldn't be feeling this or, Oh, I don't know why I'm feeling this or why am I feeling this or, Oh my God, you know, pull yourself together, get over it. You know, you shouldn't be feeling this. And you t- start talking negatively toward yourself and you become self critical. And then you keep thinking about it. Then your feelings last, you know, for God knows how long it could last for years, a, a whole lifetime. But if you just sit with it for 90 seconds, feel your feelings, and then let them go. That's a practice that people can um, can use without even going to a therapist. But go to the therapist because they're essential. No, that's really interesting about the feeling idea. I'm going to uh, I'm going to try that on my own. But yeah, you're. Right. I mean, to your ultimate point, if we are going through a divorce, a therapist is yeah sounds essential. Right. Well, also this is a do as I say, not as I do moment. When I told my daughter about that 90 second thing, she looked at me. She goes, Yeah. I'd give you about 30 seconds. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm good for a feeling for about 30 seconds. <laughs> we'll, we'll work up on it, work up to it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what have you seen over the years? Because you've been a divorce lawyer for, for some time now. Uh, what have you seen about how judges treat dads and, and, and how that's been sort of evolving over the years? Have you seen any differences or? Definitely, definitely. Great question. So yes, I I used to have dads come in that were always worried that, you know, the system was biased against them, that they were going to get the short end of the stick when it comes to parenting. Um, I've seen a complete shift in that. Um, what I see in, in my jurisdiction is if you are an involved father and you want to be even a 50 50, you know, overnight dad, you need to assert yourself and ask for it. And it's likely that you're going to get it unless there's some real reason why you shouldn't. Um, so I think that the fear of the old bias is not, not present anymore. I think that probably because of the age of the judges too, where dads who are now judges or moms who are judges have had their fathers or their spouses stay at home and, and play an important role in child rearing. And the literature is all over the place to support the role of fathers in healthy childhood development. It's really important. Dads play an incredibly important role and in the old days, you know, moms got the nod on that, but that's, I don't think that's the way it is anymore. No, that's great to hear. Everything's evolving. I mean, we just, you know, and you never know what situation by situation, but the big takeaway is advocate for yourself, advocate for what you want, what you deserve. That, you know, that, cause that's another challenge of divorce. No matter how nasty it gets, there's a kid who is half dad and half mom. So if you're talking nasty about dad or talking nasty about mom, in a sense, you're talking nasty to your kid. It's a lot of damage. Yeah. A ton of damage can happen to children. So on the one hand, children are very resilient. And they will do well so long as at least one of you are authoritative and stable (laughs) and consistent. Ideally, you want both of you to be authoritative and consistent. You want to have similar basic values about bedtimes and, you know, chores and uh, homework and, and things like that if you can. And you don't want the children to be able to play the two of you off each other because they know that they can become quite strategic in triangulating. So you and the spouse need to be on the same page to a certain extent about basic parenting things. And and to your point, a child will absolutely feel loyalty pulls and stressed out and feel like they can't love the other parent if you are talking smack about the other parent in front of the kid or saying bad things about them or talking about child support or talking about money or 
saying that you're going to be homeless because, you know, of the divorce or all kinds of bad things that people say in front of children, which really need to be um, checked at the door and really put your money where your mouth is. Put the the needs and the interests of your children ahead of your own sorrow and your own sort of emotionality about the fact that this relationship is not working out anymore. It's easy to say that you can get divorced from your spouse, but your child cannot divorce their other parent and they need their other parent and they need to know that it's okay to love both of you. That's beautiful. So how do you move on after the collaborative divorce? Totally. So what we do also, a really cool thing that you started mentioning earlier about that you didn't write the story. Like that's a bit of a victim mentality in my view. I'd say, look, this is your opportunity to rewrite your story and to write the story for your future, whether you asked for it or you didn't. And in a collaborative model, we're going to give each other enough time and space to come to the conclusion that this is actually the right thing to do. I understand the finances. I understand your value as a human being. I understand the value of our prior relationship. Like I can look back on that and say, you know, we did, we had like some really good times and we made these beautiful children together. And I don't hate you. I don't want to hate you. I love you. And I'm sad that you don't want to be with me, but I understand that. And frankly, when I actually think about it, we're probably not that good for each other. You know, we could probably be better friends and co-parents than we are a married couple. And so by changing the narrative a little bit and then writing out what you want to tell your children and how you want your community to respond to your children, if you said something like, you may have noticed mom and dad have been fighting or it's been a little tense lately you know, we're going to get divorced. We decided to divorce. We're going to do it in a collaborative model. We want you to know that we both love you. We both want to make it as easy as possible on this transition, that you can love both of us. And we think that we will be better co-parents and friends than we were a married couple. And then leave it at that. Like, don't go into a whole bunch of other details about why this is all happening. Keep it age appropriate. Keep it super simple. And then when the kids start asking questions, you know, they're very concrete. They want to know, like, can the dog go back and forth? Or, you know, can my stuffed animal come? Or am I going to, what color is my room going to be? You know, when am I going to see you? So rather than filling them with fear and anxiety, let them know that you're working on it. You know, ideally set a joint narrative, have it as a family meeting, you know, continue to have family meetings. We have clients that um, start that in the collaborative process. In addition to your individual mental health coach, which you need, it's also helpful to have like a divorce coach as a mental health person for the two of you going forward. It's not to reconcile. It's not for, you know, reconciliation counseling. It's to like, how are we going to be the good co-parents that we say we want to be? And there's going to be challenges and there's going to be communication challenges. And we need to build up our communication skills so we can build trust and accountability into our relationship where usually by the time you get in divorce, people don't feel accountable to anybody and there's not a lot of trust and people are pretty pissed off. So you're going to have to work through that and get to the place where you can trust each other to give you honest and accurate information about how the kids are doing so that you can show up together at the recitals and the plays and the um, sporting events and not have your kid like looking into the audience, like where mom's over on this side, dad and his new partner on that side, nobody's talking to each other. It's a nightmare. So you really want to put yourselves in the position of your kid and like really come together for them, sit next to each other. Don't say, oh, because you hurt me so badly, I can't sit next to you when our child is performing. Like in my mind, that's a selfish act. Absolutely. You know, I think the big mind sort of trick on this is the the words collaborative and divorce, because in your head, you're just like, no, divorce is not, you know, friendly, it's not collaborative. And you've proven that wrong, you know, over years and years. I guess I would just, I'd be curious, out of 100 couples you see get a collaborative divorce, how many of those can then sit in the theater next to each other, like you just said? I'm sure it's not 100. 
No, but a lot of them, a, a vast majority can do it because they've already committed to that at the outset. They understand that it's hard. They understand that they're going to be feeling their feelings and it's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be stickiness. There's going to be discomfort. There's going to be pain. And they are willing with that mindset, like a growth mindset mentality to, to overcome it and to be the best people they can be, even if they're feeling their worst. And I think that's one of the gifts that a collaborative divorce can give to, you know, each other is like, even though we feel like crap, um, we're not going to act like crap. We're going to like rise to the occasion here and be the role models that we know we want to be. And then it's great for children to see that parents can manage conflict in that way. And then they'll just be better global citizens if they're not thinking that, you know, the way to manage conflict is to just, you know, bully each other into submission or, you know, speak negatively or not listen to understand, but just, you know, wait for your moment to make your pitch and put your position out there and that's not listening. That's not really encouraging our kids to be their best selves, especially in this complex world that we live in. How long does a collaborative divorce, does that process typically take? And I guess, can you compare that to a non-collaborative divorce? Sure. So typical divorces with children take about at least six months. And in a collaborative model, depending on how long you've been divorced or how long you've been separated and where you are psychologically, like your psychological readiness is really the key to when you're going to get divorced. Because it could take two lawyers and two motivated clients, you know, six hours to get divorced. Like we could do it in a day, (laughs) but it doesn't happen that way because of all that emotionality and working through stuff and collecting the information. And once everybody's on the same page financially and they understand the financial lay of the land and the cash flow, and once they are each psychologically ready to make a deal, then the deal can happen, you know, really in a couple of hours. And then you just have to put the paperwork together and each state has like different jurisdiction rules about that. But if you've already been separated for a year, a lot of people come into a collaborative model having already kind of worked things out on their own in a pretty good way. And they're pretty much ready. So maybe it's three months. Um, you know, maybe it's just a couple sessions. The majority of people though, you know, somebody just found out that someone's having an affair and they're like, I want to get divorced. That's the first reaction. The knee jerk reaction is let me go get a divorce. And that might be the correct approach. It may or may not be. And you just want to understand, even with an affair, you have choices to make about how you're going to handle this. And in that situation, it might take longer, right? It might, the first three months, nothing might happen because the person's just in therapy trying to deal with their grief and the crushing grief of being betrayed. And the other spouse who's the, you know, who one who stepped out, they're just going to have to wait patiently until that other, until their spouse catches up. You know, you could still be discreet and you could still have your relationships and do what you're doing, but you don't want to throw it in your spouse's face and you don't want to invite new partners into the, you know, don't move in with somebody while you're getting divorced. Like just try to be respectful and discreet. And then things move along once everybody is psychologically ready. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, this whole conversation has been centered upon respect, basically, right? And saying, we're going through a tough situation. It's not going to be easy. I, I really appreciate you saying that it's 80% emotional. I, again, that's not something I had thought about before. You know it's a huge strain, but you don't kind of frame it that way. So it'll take time. It takes time, especially if you look at it as a death and a grieving process, right? Like I feel like that really softens it. That was one of my aha moments that got me to write the book. I said, I, I just thought of that and and applying that framework, the denial, because we see that at the beginning, you know, people could stay stuck in denial for a really long time and the anger and if they don't, and the sadness and the grief and the bargaining, and then eventually you get to acceptance. And once you've worked through it and you're at acceptance, then you're in a much better place to have a rational conversation about how you're going to manage your children and your financial future. But it's really hard to have that conversation a week after you tell somebody that, oh, you're not in love with them and you've got somebody else. Like that's, 
crazy town. Like you're seeing red at that point. You can't think straight and you're not going to make good decisions. And then if your only option is the adversarial model, then you're going to most likely be put into your separate camps. Your lawyers are going to intervene on your behalf. There's not going to be communication between the two of you. No one's going to be encouraging family counseling to like build trust and accountability and communication skills. Um, they're going to just say, well, we'll get in touch with you when our court date is ready. And in the meantime, think of all the worst things that have happened over the last 10 or 15 years and tell me all about them, write out a timeline and we'll go present it to the judge as if that's going to somehow be a compelling story. And, um, and then that becomes the story, like all the bad things that have happened in your preparation for court. And it's so stressful and it's so expensive. And there's a lot of delays in court, you know, every, but the courts are all backed up everywhere and it could take you two years to get divorced. And I tend to think that if you've got somebody who's got a two-year divorce, in my mind, that's somebody who has not been able, somebody in that dyad is not able to let go. Like somebody's not at acceptance. Um, you know, people can end up fighting about the silliest things from my point of view, but it's not about the things. It's, it's never about the things. It's that they're not ready to let go of the whole concept. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, when your son or daughter gets married, do you want to be at the wedding? Is your spouse going to be there? Your ex? Yes and yes. So is it going to be awkward? Is that how you want it? I mean, that's just one of many examples, right? When you have a grandchild, you want to both visit at the same time. Does it have to be this awkward? It's my turn. It's your, you know, like. No, it totally doesn't. But it really depends on how you set up your divorce process. And so knowing that you have an option, I think should be giving people a lot of sort of relief um, that they have an option to do it in a better way because you will be going to that wedding and you don't want to be stressing out your kid on the wedding day about sitting at different tables and your parents can't get along and they're worried about you guys instead of you know focus on the joy of whatever is happening. People can do it. People do it. They continue to share traditions. They have weekly you know, family meetings to talk about what's going on with the kids so that the kids know that you can't play each other against each other, that, you know, whatever happens, even just silly things, like as the kids get become teenagers, if something happens at school and it's somebody else's weekend, like you want to tell the other parent. And if there's like a punishment or if there's something, you know, if you're on curfew or something like that, then you don't just go back to the other parent and be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm free. I'm going out this weekend because even though you did something wrong and the other parent, you want to have that conversation and jointly make the decision so that your kid knows, look at, you're going to be grounded at dad's house and you're going to be grounded at mom's house. And, you know, we know what's going on. You can't fool us. And you just want to have the, the better communication opportunity. And I think a collaborative divorce gives you at least a fighting chance to have that as a, as opposed to a litigation model, which really is not going to encourage that at all. No, absolutely. This has been so inspiring, Nancy. I really appreciate your book, Untangling Your Marriage, and just this conversation. Again, divorce isn't a road that I'm planning on going down. I'm sure a lot of dads on this call, on this uh, podcast are not either, but it might happen. If so, uh, to me, the collaborative model is just such a better approach for you and for your kids and for having a family moving forward and, and keeping things healthy. Thank you, Nancy. Really appreciated this conversation. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to talk about it. Awesome. All right, well, take care. All right. Thank you. Take care. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on. <laughs>